0: Well, it's uh, a little happy and a little sad that we're coming into the last couple messages on the book of Exodus. I've so enjoyed our time together in Exodus, but with this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to be finishing up the book. Now, this Sunday is all about the beginning part of actually building the tabernacle. Of course, you know, the whole story about how Israel was in bondage in Egypt for some 400 years. And in a dramatic and glorious way, God brought them out of Egypt and he brought them on their way to the promised land. Well, in the middle of the book of Exodus, they come to a stopping place, Mount Sinai. And actually, they stayed at Mount Sinai for a whole year. When the book of Exodus ends, they're still at Mount Sinai. As a matter of fact, they're at Mount Sinai for all of the book of Leviticus and for half the book of Numbers. But when we leave the book of Exodus, they're still there at Mount Sinai and they are learning how to obey what God told them to do up on the mountain. And one of the things that God told Moses to do was to build a tabernacle, was to build a place that they would come together and sacrifice unto the Lord. And the priests of the Lord would come and bring the right kind of offerings that would honor God and worship him. So that's exactly what they were supposed to do. But they still had to build the tabernacle. What we have here in this message this Sunday and in the message next Sunday is really all about a building project. they are building a tent. It's a pretty glorious tent, has a lot of gold, a lot of silver, a lot of ornate tapestries and all the rest of it. It's a glorious tent. But nevertheless, it's a building project. And if you need anything for a building project, the first thing you need are material resources. And that's what chapter five, all 35, is all about. Look at verse one. Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, these are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Now again, in the following chapters, starting from chapter 35 to the end of the book of Exodus, there's going to be a lot of work to do. They've got a tabernacle to build, they've got all the furnishings of the tabernacle to build. There is a lot of work to do. And I love how God does this. Before they get started on any of the work of building the tabernacle, he says, Remember my rest. Remember the rest that I give to you. Remember the Sabbath the day set apart, the day that remembers that God finished his work in creation and he has a finished work for us to enter into as well. Friends, this is so important for us to remember because the same principle holds for our own walk with God. Anything we do for God grows out of the rest that we have in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Now, I hope you know that. I hope that's written deeply within your soul. Because you know what? I hope that from this pulpit and from other areas in your Christian life and other avenues that you might just receive something from the Lord. I hope that over and over again, you understand that there's things that you should do in your Christian life. I don't mind telling you that at all. I don't mind telling you that there's certain basic fundamental things that you do that are part of Christian living. Christian living is partially doing. But before we ever do, we receive and we rest in who Jesus is and friends I just hope you don't have that mixed up in your mind I, I hope you don't realize or I hope you don't visit the idea that first first you have to work for the Lord and then he'll be pleased with you and give you rest no he gives you rest he's pleased with you because of faith and because of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross then you go out and do your work and this was so serious for God To reinforce for Israel as a principle that he says these remarkably strong things like you saw right there in verse two, where he said, whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. This is a very strict call to obedience before they did the work of building the tabernacle. God first called them to the work of simple obedience. And I love that God's basically saying this, Israel, if you can't obey me with the Sabbath, don't even bother building me a tabernacle. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, so often we want to go out and do these advanced things for the Lord, but we miss it on basic, simple obedience unto him. He says, no, no, no. Israel, let's get the Sabbath down first. Let's make that right before me first. Then go on and do the other things, such as this great building project. So now, verse 4, they're ready to launch into the building project. Verse 4. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying... This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, take from among you an offering to the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet thread, fine linen and goats hair and the ram skins dyed red badger skins and acacia wood oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Now, please notice Moses is speaking to the nation and he says. Israel, it's time to build the tabernacle, bring the resources so that we can build it. And notice what he says. First of all, in verse four, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. In other words, it was time to do what God had commanded them to do. This was not Moses's pipe dream. This was not something that the elders of Israel got together. and said, Oh, wouldn't it be cool to do this? No, this is what the Lord had commanded. The command is repeated here to emphasize the fact that Moses carried this out just as God commanded him to. And then he says in verse five. Take from among you. They had to build that thing. Go back to the previous slide there, Bob. You can see it right there. They had to build that, the tabernacle. Now, I need to assure you, this is not a photograph of the actual tabernacle. <laughs> I just didn't want to no misunderstanding on that point. It, I think it's a pretty good model of it, and it's, of course, a photo of a model. But I think that's a pretty good representation of what the tabernacle built. So in order to build that, they had to amass resources. And verse 5 says, take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. I want you to notice something. The offering came from God's command, not from Moses' clever fundraising techniques. This shows God's normal way of channeling resources to his work by the gifts given by his people with a willing heart. I just want you to imagine. Could not have God created that tabernacle right there in the middle of the wilderness. Of course, he could have. The, the God that can build the horse and the turtle and the mountain and the ecosystem, he could have built that tabernacle. Just boom, there it is. I created. it. God could have sent down a legion of angels to create it. God could have made the gold and the goat's hair fabrics and the silver just appear in the wilderness. But God didn't do any of that. God looked out upon Israel And he says, I am asking you to come and to contribute for the building of this tabernacle. Now, why? I'll tell you why. Because God does a good work in his people through their generous giving. You know, it wasn't so much. Oh, please give so that we can have a tabernacle. I'll tell you, the reason for the giving was for Israel's heart was so that they could be of the right heart. You know, this is something I always want us to keep in mind in our own giving unto the Lord. And I don't know maybe this is awkward for you. It's really not awkward for me. Look, look a, a, a church as an enterprise, as an operation, just as what we do in here. Practically, we've got electric bills to pay. We've got staff to pay. We've got rent to pay. We've got all those things. We've got all those bills. But, you know, at the end of the day, the primary reason for your giving unto the Lord's work at this church should not be. Oh, or they can't pay the bills. The primary reason for your giving should be you need to be a giver. And God commands you to support and to give unto those ministries which are feeding and blessing and supporting you spiritually. Now, it's true that there are practical needs among the, this, this community of God's people that we call Calvary Chapel Center. Of course, it's true. But again, the primary reason isn't the body's need it's the individual's need to be generous with what God has given them. And I want you to notice something, that this same idea is eminently New Testament. It's echoed in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where Paul says this, So let everyone give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You'll see this exact same attitude towards giving expressed so powerfully in this collection of resources for the tabernacle. I mean, look at it right here in verses five and six. He says, bring gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple, scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, on and on and on. This is just what they needed to make the tabernacle. Hey, Israel, we need to make a tabernacle. God has commanded us to make it. You have the resources. Now it's time to collect them. Let's bring them together and we'll do this great building project. And then they had to have the labor as well. Look at it in verse 10. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all what the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars and its sockets. The ark and its poles with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering, the table and its poles, all its utensils and the showbread. Also the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps and the oil for the light, the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, the screen for the door at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of the burnt offering with the bronze grating, its poles, its utensils and the laver in its base. The hangings of the court, its pillars the sockets and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court and their cords, the garments for ministry, for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. We see it's basically an inventory list, isn't it? We need gifted artisans to make all these things. You know what I think is beautiful about this? Doesn't this look like a well-planned project? Doesn't it look like they made a careful inventory of what they need and who needs to do the work? And it's organized. And I know Moses didn't have a spreadsheet, but I bet we would have filled it out if he was in this day and age. Okay, this is the work and this is how it needs to work out and a good project management. And it's all being done right there. They've got it settled. We need the workers. This is what needs to be built. It's going to be a well organized, not a haphazard kind of thing. And now starting at verse 20, they're going to actually receive the offering for building the tabernacle notice this carefully and all the congregation of the children of israel departed from the presence of moses then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing and they brought the lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service and for the holy garments they came both men and women as many as had a willing heart and brought earrings and nose rings and rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold. That is every man who made an offering of gold unto the Lord. And every man with whom was found blue, purple and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering. And everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun, of blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones and these stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate and the spices and oil for the light and the anointing oil and for a sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hands of Moses, had commanded to be done. Isn't this beautiful? It's like now Moses rings the bell and he goes, okay, now's the time to give. Now's the time for you to exercise your willing hearts and to come and bring the offering. Now, I want you to notice this. Verse 20 is so powerful. It says, all the congregation of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Do you understand what that means? In other words, Moses said, Okay, everybody, it's time for us to build this tabernacle. We need to receive your free will offerings. This is all the stuff that needs to be done. This is all the stuff we need to build it. Now, this is what I want you to do. Go home and think about it and then come back and bring your offering. You know what I love it? He wasn't twisting their arm with some manipulative thing right then and there. He wasn't going to keep them there at the meeting until they finally coughed up enough stuff to do it. It was going to ply them, whatever it is they needed to be plied with in order so that they'd loosen up their wallets or write that big check. Just Go home and think about it. I'm not going to manipulate your giving. And ladies, and that's exactly how it should be done in the kingdom of God. I don't think there's anything wrong with a pastor or leaders of a church to stand before God's people and to say, hey, there's a need. Now's the time to give to it. This is the vision. This is what God's calling us to do. Here's the details. We want you to give to it. But God forbid if they do it with manipulation and pressure, because you know why? God doesn't want your manipulated giving. He wants your freely free will giving. He wants it to be the exercise of your heart. And as nearly as we can all the time, we endeavor to do exactly that to say, hey, we're not here to twist arms or to manipulate or to kind of coerce you into doing something. We want it to be a thoughtful, prayerful, free will offering of your own. I want to give a solemn assurance right now. We're not going to receive a second offering this morning. (laughs) We've already done that. I just want to assure anybody right now, we're not softening you up for another passing of the bags. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And neither do we have some great project that we're going to announce just this next week. You know, okay, this is it. You heard the sermon last week. Now, come on, everybody. Write that big check. But I will tell you this. It may come in the future, right? Could it not? Could not God guide myself and the leadership of the church, the elders and our leaders together to just say, yes, this is a vision that God has given us. And you know what? Frankly, it's going to take a lot of resources. And here's the good news. The resources are here among our congregation. Now's the time to bring them in. And I don't know when that call might go out, but when it does, don't be manipulated, but do be responsive to what God speaks to your. That's exactly what Moses demonstrated when he said, here it is. Now go home and bring back whatever it is that the Lord puts on your heart. I love this. Moses didn't have a contest pitting one tribe against the others to see who's going to raise the most money. Tribe of Dan versus the tribe of Judah. Who's going to bring more? He didn't have like a little rocket ship going up, you know, being a measure of how much the tribes gave or this or that. No, none of that Nonsense. God did the work in the hearts of the people. And look at it here. I'm going to just read to you phrases from that big, long section that I just read to you. Look at the phrases I'm going to read to you now. Verse 20. Everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. Verse 22. As many as had a willing heart. Verse 26. All the women whose hearts were stirred. Verse 29. A free will offering to the Lord. Verse 29 again, it says, whose hearts were willing. Do you get the point here? It was all willing, freely given. The idea of freedom and a lack of coercion in the offering is repeated and emphasized. Now, I will say this, and it's very important to understand. Though their hearts were willing, they didn't really know what to give or when to give until Moses said. There was nothing wrong with Moses standing up there and saying, now's the time and this is what you should bring. That's not manipulative or coercive. The willing hearts didn't know what to give or when to give until Moses instructed them. But when he told them, then their willing hearts responded. Now, verse 21, we see another theme here. Again, just some phrases through that big, long section. Verse 21, the Lord's offering, an offering of gold to the Lord. Verse 22 says, Verse 24 says the Lord's offering. Verse 29 says a freewill offering to the Lord. Do you get the point there? Who did the offering belong to? The Lord didn't belong to Moses. It didn't even belong to the nation of Israel. It didn't even belong to the elders of Israel. It belonged to the Lord himself. Now, that it's a very important principle among God's people that that money be handled among God's people in a way that would honor God and recognize that it's the Lord's money. And you know what, I I just, I I just can tell you that I, I am so blessed. I'm just so at peace with the integrity of the financial dealings with this congregation. With the people that we have administering and overseeing and leadership, with the leadership of the elders board and the financial board and the church staff that leads all, I, I am at tremendous peace that that the Lord's money is being handed in a way that speaks of integrity and goodness. And I'll just say this: if anybody has any questions about it, we got an open book policy. You you just come and make an appointment with John Ludwig. And he'll sit down and talk with you and he'll answer any questions that you have. We, got to know, we don't got nothing to hide. We have an open book policy. We're just so blessed, I believe, with the integrity that God has given our church staff to be able to administer these. And it all flows from this idea. It's the Lord's offering. It doesn't belong to us. It's the Lord's. Then going on, I want you to notice one other great point in this section here. Starting at verse 22, he says, both men and women... Verse 22, again, every man, verse 23, every man with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet. Verse 24, everyone with whom was found acacia wood. Verse 25, all the women who were gifted artisans. Verse 26, all the women whose hearts were stirred with wisdom. Verse 27, the rulers brought onyx stones. You see what this is? This was everybody was part of this great giving work. It wasn't just a few people. The call just didn't go out to the tribal chieftains of Israel and say, well, you are the men of great resources. You guys just pony up and do this thing and nobody else has to worry about it. No, it was something for everybody to share in because they wanted to be able to look at that tabernacle and say, I had a part. I contribute. This was part of my free will giving unto the Lord. It wasn't just the property of a few people and the people just simply gave what they could. You know, not everybody could give precious gems. So the ones who could give the precious gems gave them. Can you imagine the person? All they had to give was some goat's hair. That's it. I suppose just about everybody in Israel had some goat's hair. They probably had more goat's hair than they needed. They said, but here, I can bring this. I can't bring other things, but I can bring this. And I bet Moses smiled so big, so approvingly, just as Jesus smiled when the widow dropped in her mites, right? Because goat's hair, I suppose. Look, I... I don't know much about goats hair. I'm just assuming that it's not a very valuable commodity. But again, they just said, here, here, I'll bring what I can. And it's just this beautiful, common, cooperative effort. Everybody was included. So now continue on verse 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, see, the Lord has called by name. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver, in bronze, and cutting jewels for setting, and carving wood, and in work in all matter of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and Ahulab, the son of Asamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and of the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple and scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. I think this is beautiful. God points out that there were two men in particular, one named Bezalel and the other one named Aholiab. And these two men God had specifically anointed with his Holy Spirit To lead and to do the work themselves. You know, I just think it's marvelous. That says that God anointed them with his spirit to do practical work. I hope there's nobody here that labors under the misunderstanding that somehow I need the spirit of God to do my work up here behind a pulpit. But you and your daily. work Oh, no, you don't need the spirit of God to do that. You just need your own wisdom. You just need your own smarts and training and whatever it is. Can I tell you, if you're ever going to be used of God the way that God wants you to be used in your particular situation, you need the spirit of God to do what you do. And he wants to fill you and he wants to anoint you and he wants to give you a divine powering to do what he's given you to do, whether it's behind a pulpit or whether it's behind a desk or whether it's behind a counter, whether it's wherever it is. This is what God has given you to do. And the Holy Spirit is so vitally interested to fill your life. And I could just imagine a little bit later on our service when we call up the prayer team. This would be a great prayer need for some of you this morning. You need the sense that the Spirit of God empowers you to do what you do from day to day. And maybe you had that sense at one time in your life, but now it's a time for that sense to get renewed and refreshed all over again. And for you just to say, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me to do what I do. Sometimes people think, well, it's very obvious. The pastor needs the Holy Spirit to do what he does behind the pulpit. And that's definitely true. I don't deny that for a moment. But each and every one of us for what God has called us to do in our lives, it's a holy, sacred calling unto the Lord. And we need the Holy Spirit of God to fill our life, to do it. So now starting at chapter 36, verse 1 we're just going to see the coordination of the work it says and Bezalel and Oholiab and all they give every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all the manner of work for the service of the sav- of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded all right guys now it's time to do the work are you ready you know do you got your shops ready your workbenches your saws everything everything all ready to go it's ready and now in verse 2 they're going to ask for the offering i wonder if Moses was nervous When it came time to ask for the offering, he looks at the blueprints and he sees the tabernacle that God wanted built. He goes, man, Lord, this is pretty ambitious. It's going to take a lot of gold, Lord. It's going to take a lot of silver. And you know what? These people were slaves in Egypt and these people, they they were slaves. And, you know, the mentality of a slave, isn't it? The mentality of a slave is just to hold on to things because you've had such an uncertain, insecure present and future. You say, no, I don't want to let anything out of my sight. And Moses, oh, Lord, this is a slave people. I don't know what's going to happen. And we're just going to make the offering. So let's do it. And now in verse two, then Moses called Bezalel and Ahoilab, and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom and everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. All right. Verse two tells us it was time to come and do the work. All the planning was over. All the preparation was over. It was now time to build that tent of the tabernacle. It's really sort of a critical time, isn't it? Oh, sure. You can put it down on paper. And that's important to have the blueprint and you can strategize the fundraising. And that's all important into its place. But there comes a time when it's actually time to start doing the building. And now Moses is a little bit nervous. Okay, it's time to call for the offering. It's time to get to work. What's going to happen? Verse two, everyone came whose heart was stirred. I like that. You could also translate that everyone whose heart was lifted up. Their heart was lifted up. It wasn't bound by earthly things, but you could say they were lifted up to a heavenly perspective. And as they were lifted up to a heavenly perspective, they looked about and they said, "Okay, Lord, what do you want to do? My heart is stirred. I'm going to bring an offering. I've got some gold. I've got some silver. There's some goat hair lying around the house. Let's bring it unto the Lord. And then verse three, it's so beautiful. Did you see it there in verse three? They continued bringing to him the freewill offering every morning. In other words, it wasn't just done in one day. Morning after morning, they kept bringing it in. I can only imagine that Moses like, yes, Lord, yes. I'm so grateful for an offering that isn't finished just on one day, but people keep bringing it and they keep bringing it so much so that verse four, this is just amazing. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from giving for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. How beautiful is that? I I don't know if anything has happened since. I'm sure it has, but it's just certainly remarkable, isn't it? Okay, we're collecting money for the building fund. Come bring your gifts. And after no stop, you've already brought more than enough. It's enough. You don't have to bring anymore. It's just so powerful in verse five, where it says the people bring much more than enough. This shows how blessed giving can be when it's free from human manipulation and tricks. You know, that's sort of the worst thing when someone in Christian leadership uses manipulation and coercion in enticing the people of God to give. You know what it fundamentally shows? It shows unbelief on the part of the person doing the asking. I'm saying, oh, Lord, I don't believe that you're big enough to work in the hearts of people just giving in a free will thing. I got to twist their arm. I got to manipulate them. I got to do something special to do it. Instead, Lord, no, I'm going to trust you. And God did a mighty and a powerful work. It's so beautiful. Willing hearts will always give enough as God blesses the work. Indeed, I love what it says right there in verse six. The people were restrained from bringing. They were restrained enough. Don't bring any more. What you bring is enough. Matter of fact, it's more than enough. Again, I think you see something very beautiful here. Moses and the organizers of the work, they knew how much was enough. Isn't this a well-planned project? You see, if the project is chaotic and not planned, it's like, I don't know. Let's just keep getting it because I don't know how much is enough. But when you know the project and you know how things lay, we can we need this much gold for this and we need this much goat's hair for that. And we need this much silver for that. When it's all planned out, then you go, okay, we're bringing it in. We're measuring it. We're accounting it. This was very good accounting by Moses and his leadership because they knew how much was enough. And when God's people are asked to give something, they should expect that what they give to will be organized and planned and managed well to the glory of God. So you see it right there in verses six and seven. It says, and the people were restrained from bringing for the material that they had was sufficient. I love it. What integrity Moses had by stopping the giving. It says, OK, it's enough. That's really integrity, because when people just want to give more and more, it's, no, no, no. It's as if Moses said, listen. Our job as a leadership isn't just to endlessly amass resources. No, it's to implement resources. And if we can't implement resources for the will of God and what God wants us to do, then we're not going to amass them anymore. Let me tell you, that's our heart. We, we keep whatever operating reserve that the financial board and our elder board is, think is proper and just wise and all that. But listen, beyond that operating reserve that we always try to keep up to the sufficient level, our heart is to do, to implement ministry. And if it goes beyond what we can implement, we can do, well, then we'll adjust that accordingly. But it says beautifully, it says there that they had to restrain the people. And once there, they just said, no, we're not going to amass endless resources. Stop giving. I just want you to put yourself in the sandals of an ancient Israelite. Okay, there you are. You're walking. You're bringing your offering. You got a, you know, an armful of goat's hair, and you're bringing it up there to the, to the, to Moses and Tabernacle. And stop, stop. No, the directive comes right down from Moses. We don't need any more. Go back home. Now, if you're an Israelite, how do you feel about that? I suppose maybe some Israelites are like, Yahoo! I get to keep my goat's hair. But you know how most of we. I know how you would be. You'd be like. Really? I, I gave too late. I could have given this yesterday and this goat's hair that I have, this resource that I have, it could have been used in building that beautiful tabernacle. If I would have been more prompt, more obedient, if I would have just been quicker on the mark to do it, you could have used what I have. But now I just got to take it home, and make a rug out of this goat's hair. You, you see, I, I don't think that the Israelites who were turned away were happy about it. I think they were like filled with sorrow. No, Lord, I wanted to really be able to say that God used my participation in this to make a difference. But now, now they had to be disappointed to be turned away from their giving. And when their hearts and their minds were turned on to proper giving... They wanted to give. And I can imagine that they were disappointed when the offering was over and they could no longer have a share. They could no longer have a partnership in what God was doing with such a wonderful work. Friends, I see here God's work among Israel to be a very powerful thing. I want to remind yourself of something. These had been a slave people just a matter of months before. And, and when you're a slave person, you always concentrate on consumption and accumulation. That's what it's all about when you're a slave, because when you're a slave, you don't really have anything for yourself. You, you, you don't can't just trust that. Yes, there's always going to be there. It's always going to provide. So you have this slave mentality that says, first, of all, I got to consume everything I have because I don't know what tomorrow will bring. He said, I got to accumulate everything I can b- because I don't know what tomorrow will bring. But when you're a free person under the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, you say, no consumption and accumulation. That's out. You know, what's in faithfulness and generosity, because, you know, that what God provided for yesterday, he can provide for you tomorrow. So why not be generous with what I have? My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can provide for me. I don't have to have my mind focused on consumption and accumulation. That's how slaves think free men and free women before the Lord. Their focus is on faithfulness and generosity. Now, you know, it's sad. And I genuinely mean this. This is sad. It's sad that that there's some believers who honestly, when it comes to material things, they think like slaves. Their focus is still on consumption and accumulation i just pray that god would show you the beautiful freedom the liberty the knowing that you have a god in heaven who cares you and what he provided for you yesterday he can provide for you tomorrow and as a free man or a free woman before the lord jesus christ you no longer have to live a life under the bondage of consumption and accumulation you can be a man or woman says no I'm going to be faithful with what God has given me. And I'm going to be generous with what God has given me. That's how a free man or a free woman lives. One more point. May I? Just one more. And it's really, it's a one more. It's not a preacher's one more, which really means about five more. (laughs) I love looking through all of this and looking for ways that it speaks to us about how God is towards us. And I just look at that phrase in verse 7. Indeed, too much. You see that at the end of verse seven? Indeed, too much. And you know what I think is beautiful about that? I say, doesn't that follow God's pattern of giving to me? Hasn't God given me indeed too much? All the grace, all the mercy, all the forgiveness, all the restoration, all the blessing that he's given to me in Jesus Christ. Indeed, it's too much. You've given me too much, Lord. It's almost as if I should be like Moses. No, stop, Lord, stop. But I'm not going to do that to the Lord. But do you see, it just speaks to me of the beauty. It's just the nature of God to give that way to his people. To say, I've given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Friends, that's indeed too much. And so we see Israel's giving here to just be a pale imitation of the glorious, beautiful, generous giving of God to you and I. He gives to us indeed too much with that thought. Isn't it a beautiful morning to receive communion and to come to the table of the Lord? Isn't that the chief way in which God has given us too much? And, and Pastor Drew's going to come up in a few moments and lead us at the communion table. But I want you to prepare your heart for it now by just thinking this. When you hold that cup, when you hold that bread, it just really indeed too much. It's too much, Lord. This is greater than anything I ever needed. You provide, you give far beyond my need. Father, I pray that you'd awaken every heart, every soul to that great principle here this morning. That that as much as as it's good for us to be taught and mindful of, of just these wonderful biblical patterns of giving, it all begins with what you have given to us in Jesus Christ. And so we receive it gratefully. We receive it, Lord, with faith. We ask that you'd set us free, Lord. Lord, I I pray it's only few here, Lord, but whether it's few or many who are bound in the mentality of consumption and accumulation, I pray that you would free them from a slave mentality and you'd set them free to the glorious way of living marked by faithfulness and generosity. Do it, Lord. Do that work. You've done it for so many among us, Lord. Keep doing it. We need it, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. In your name, amen.